Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Well, howdy, and thanks for checking out the podcast. Coming up, my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, on the first day of spring. Tim Scott, the head of CAA Manitoba, on another Worst Roads campaign. Councillor Kevin Klein, who voted against the city budget. And Bill Campbell, at the Keystone Ag Producers, on the federal budget. And another growing season right around the corner. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. I wanted to sh- uh, start the show off, though, with the fact that uh, it is the first day of spring. And, of course, on the first day of spring, the seasons change. We have to talk to my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson. Uh, good afternoon, Bruce. Happy spring. Well, thanks. You too. Um, what uh, are we expecting this spring? It's the first day. I like to sort of uh, speculate and predict and uh, pontificate with you. What kind of a spring are we looking for based on the forecast over the next uh, several days and long term over the next uh, couple of weeks? Well, really this week is not going to be, it will be a lot of days like today. Some won't be as sunny, but there may be a little bit of rain or snow on Sunday, but that's really looking minimal now. So it, it looks like that storm's taking a different track. And it looks like there'll be some cold air behind it, maybe slow the melting down for a couple of days, and then it'll kick back in with warmer weather. And we might hit 10 in about a week. And actually, on a sunny day like this, because I'm in Johnny Cash mode right now, where I wear black shirts all the time, because on a sunny day when it's cool outside, that warms you up, because those dark, dark colors really absorb the heat. Yeah, we're at four now. We're hoping to get to six this afternoon with a mix of sun and cloud. Uh, Tomorrow, four. Friday, three. And you say maybe in about a week, double digits. Maybe, yeah. And um, it's hard with the snow on the ground. That's one of the things. Right now, it is warmer above us. If we had a... If we had some kind of really super high tower, like say a 3,000-foot tower in town, you could go to the top of that tower, it would be warmer up there than it is at the surface. Right, because of the snow cover. Right, exactly. Because it's creating a, a pool of cooler air at the surface, and it's it could be a considerable difference. I mean, if we had no snow on the ground right now, we would probably be in double digits today. In fact, I know we would be because it would probably make 8, 9 degrees difference, so we'd be a, a, a you know, pretty warm day. So I guess we'll call this then a gradual warming if we're not going to hit double digits for a week. I mean, we really want a gradual warming trend for, you know, flooding purposes. And um, so that's good news. Um, And I'm going to talk later on with the head of the uh, Keystone Agricultural Producers, Bill Campbell. We're doing that after the news at 2.30. And and one of the things I want to talk to him about is, is farmers and and seeding, right? I mean, maybe a mm-hmm. bit early for that conversation. You farm down there in Lancaster, Minnesota with your buddy Reed. Um, mm-hmm. What are you guys uh, talking about in the shop these days when it comes to seeding? Well, it's um, we're gonna be, it's going to be a little bit, it certainly won't be early, won't be planting anything in April. The ground will still be too wet and the frost will, will not have come out yet. So, and we, you know, some of the stuff we can, on an you know, on a early year, we can plant some stuff in April, but I don't think we'll get anything done. If we get anything done in April this year, it'll be very late April, simply because there's so much snow, and then you've got to wait for the frost to come out, 
or the you know grass simply going to be too wet. Um, and one of the things I've been thinking about is what I hope doesn't happen. It didn't happen last year, but it has in some years. Sometimes when you have a dry spring, it's really dry, and you just barely have enough moisture to get things going. Well, they put stress on the plants, and they tend to do well, and they're, they're searching for water. And then by mid, you know summer, say June, July, it gets the rain, then they really flourish. But if it's wet early and then they run out of moisture, say in May and June, it gets super dry and stays dry, they had the moisture first, so they didn't have to fight for it, so they didn't put the roots as deep, and they don't do very well. And so you're worried about maybe that scenario this spring? I, it's the potential for that, yeah, and I'm mm. hoping that does not happen because if we start out with decent moisture and then it disappears on us, the plants got this idea that, oh, we don't have to search for water, so we won't, and then all of a sudden the water's not there and they haven't, re- haven't been able to reach down for it, and they die or have really horrible yields. Huh, interesting. Have you seen any signs of spring yet? What is a what is a telltale sign of spring for you, Bruce? Well, um, around here is pretty much, I guess, the melting snow. And, and yeah. of course, this time of year right now, the biggest sign of spring is the days worldwide are about 12 hours long, meaning there's 12 hours of sunlight available anywhere on the planet at this point. There's no difference between the North Pole, South Pole, the equator. The only difference is in the equator, it's like this every day of the year right. as far as the sun, the length of day. But, um, it, you know, the, of course, the days are, you know, again, 12 hours long now, and we're you're getting used to that, and you can feel it. You can, you, again, with, with the Johnny Cash mode that I do every year with those black shirts, you really feel the effect of that sun. You get a a day where it's not terribly windy and you get the south side of a building, you're wearing a black shirt, you will feel the, the heat of the sun. Bruce, thanks a lot, pal. Happy spring. Hey, hey, you too. Happy vernal equinox as well, if you want to be real la-di-da and say that to people today and they'll look at you and go, what? Happy vernal equinox. Happy spring. All right, let's go to the phone. Our next guest on the show, Tim Scott. He is the president of CAA Manitoba. Good afternoon, Tim. Good day, Hal. Well, here we go again. Manitoba's worst roads. Yep, it's uh, our eighth year of the worst roads campaign. And uh, first day of spring, beautiful sunny day, and, and the uh, the holes are starting to show up. Let's get this out of the way. How do people vote? Uh, people go to our website, uh, CAA Worst Roads. Uh, they can vote there uh, for their uh, worst roads in the area that they travel or the area that they live. Uh, we've been doing it for seven years, as, as, as I said, our eighth, and uh, the number of votes continue to increase. And we're just giving a voice uh, to Manitobans to uh, look at being able to identify the areas that need help, be it a road, a pothole, cracks, uh, sinkholes, or even sidewalks, uh, cracking infrastructure. It's important that people get out there and and vote. You mentioned more and more people are voting. About how many voted last time? Uh, We're over 6,000 votes last year uh, for the the top 10, so it continues to grow. Uh, We hear from our our members uh, when they come into our stores, uh, they they continue to tell us, but the, the main area is for them to go to our Worst Roads website or use the CAA app. Uh, to identify uh, what they vote for worst roads, both in the city and both rurally. And, Tim, I'm going to open up the phones here at CGOB and get people to vote on air for their worst road pick. What's yours? Uh, well, traditionally it's been Empress uh, because my office is, is – uh, I usually use that for my route, but 
uh, as people will see now, they've identified that and they're making the improvements as we speak. Uh, St. James in the past, uh, because we avoided Empress, but uh, now it's getting repaired as well. So it, it's a good news story there. And Tim, this campaign usually gets the road work done, doesn't it? Yeah, we've had we've had some success over the years identifying the St. James, the Empresses, uh, the Pemina Highways, different sections of Pemina Highway in Brand and Victoria Avenue. That became a, a a great news story because as it got identified as the worst road in Manitoba for Victor- for Brandon, uh, the mayor there at the time uh, actually advanced uh, the repair of that road because of being brought to attention on our worst roads campaign. So that was a success story there. And when will the worst road be crowned? Uh, it'll probably be crowned late April. Uh, we get the voting in. Uh, the voting finishes on the 16th, and then we analyze the data, and then we present the, the final uh, results from there. Good luck with it, Tim. Thank you. Thanks very much, Al. That is Tim Scott, president of CAA Manitoba, Manitoba's worst roads. The budget with Councillor Kevin Klein, Charleswood Tuxedo and Westwood. Good afternoon, Kevin. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? Good. Thank you for jumping on so quick after the budget passed. It uh, passed by a vote of 11 to 5. Tell us, uh, uh, who were the ones that voted no? Um, the, well, the ones that voted no would uh, would have been uh, Councillor Lukes, uh, Councillor Nason, uh, Councillor Schreier, Councillor Edie, and uh, myself. All right. So tell us why a no vote. You know, it, it's a great question, and I don't know, it's a very simple answer. The budget... Uh, was not uh, a reality for me. Uh, there was not enough uh, true detail provided. There was no financial uh, audited statements provided to actually compare uh, this budget. And we were we were going uh, more into debt. We're borrowing money to balance the budget. We're taking money from our stabilization fund to balance the budget. And I think we can do much better than that. I think that we um, owe it to taxpayers to uh, make good business decisions with their money. We need to drill down and be good money stewards. We can't continue just to put our hand out and continue the spending. Although uh, there were a couple of good things in the budget, I will also say the way that it is presented by the mayor or by uh, the finance chair by saying, if you don't vote for this budget, you're, you're voting no to a low income pass. You're voting no to working together is unfortunate and, and a political game that has no place on a council floor. It really doesn't. We should be voting on the facts independently of each other. And I know there was some discussion about what to do about this $40 million road uh, shortfall. Uh, in the end, uh, how did that get handled in, in, in the budget? Well, in, of course, we know that the, the finance committee and the, has said from the beginning there, or the budget committee that they're taking that out, that they, have to, they don't have the money to spend on roads. And look, if we just took $20 million to do local road improvements, that's less than 2% of our overall budget. And you can't tell me that any intelligent individual couldn't sit down with the budget and find 2% in savings to continue working on our core services. We can't continue to go backwards. We're, we have to you know, sit down and, again, take a different look at this budget. The alarm has been sounded. I mean, the, the city CFO said it, right? We have to be careful budgeting in the future. We have to change the way we're budgeting. This was an opportunity to do that. And we miss this opportunity, again, with, you know, I think political games that uh, are unnecessary. 
you've been calling along with Councilor Lukes and, and, and Mason. You, you guys have been calling for more information, more, more detail. I think taxpayers want it, too. We've been taking text messages and phone calls for the last half hour after some of the things Bowman, uh, Mayor Bowman said on our air this morning about school taxes. And I'll ask your thoughts on that, too. But, you know, the fight with the province. And I think taxpayers are just frustrated. They're, they're, they want to see things getting done and, and the bickering to stop. Well, and I, and I certainly, I hear that as well, and, and I agree with that. We, look, we are supposed to be leaders. We were, were elected to represent the taxpayers. We work for them. And somewhere between the election day and today, we lost that. But there, there are, we're working towards our own legacies, or we're working towards our own uh, future plans or projects. We should be working with the taxpayer in mind, and every taxpayer, without question, should be able to know exactly where their dollars are going. We pay a lot of money in taxes, and I had people tell me, I don't mind paying taxes, but tell me where it's going. And I, right now, I can honestly say I can't tell you where all your money is going, and that's unfortunate. Is that your biggest worry out of this budget then? Is it uh, the fact that we won't see the sort of road work we need, or is it the fact that there's just that lack of information that you've been calling for? Um, that's thank you, Hal. That's a great question. It is the lack of information. It it, it concerns me greatly. Um, I am very concerned for the future. Uh, we have uh, we are near our debt ceiling. That is concerning. We continue to borrow. That is concerning. Um, we're not addressing the spending. Although I hear and I heard during debate, oh, we're we're not we're not spending more money. We're not doing. You know, we're not. Uh, adding uh, to our budget but but we are in many categories and i don't know if we've made the made them priorities i heard us talk about how uh or the mayor talk about how the uh, schools are the responsibility of the province however if you look at some categories in the budget it seems we're giving money to schools to uh, build running tracks and such on the on the play on, on their school grounds well if that's the province's uh, domain why are we giving them money why isn't that money going to core services that you and I pay for and expect out of the city? What do you make of the mayor's comments here on CJOB this morning about the city maybe looking at not collecting school taxes uh, after this year? Uh, I feel like it might be a bit of a distraction, but uh, you tell me what you think. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, judge his uh, his thoughts or sure. his feelings. I, I will say, though, that, uh, again, I, I would like, I, I would rather see us uh, sit down as leaders, uh, close the door, check our egos at the door, and uh, fix this problem for the taxpayer. I mean, we're all talking about the same person, for goodness sakes. And, and, I, and I believe that, you know, both governments actually do want the same thing. They, they want to do what's right for the uh, taxpayer, but it gets lost when we get into these struggles or tug, the tug of war, if you will. And that's why uh, Councillor Lukes, Councillor Nason, and myself have said you know, time and time again, listen, just give us the facts. You don't have to talk anymore. Just provide us the letters or provide us the agreements. So we can make a decision and tell the taxpayer. And now the city's saying that they want the province to uh, you know, itemize how, why they think they've paid off uh, their money or why they think that they're in the, in the good here. But on, on the other hand, why aren't we doing that then? I, I think it has much more power as leaders if we give them the information saying, here's our numbers, here's where we think you're wrong. Can you come back and uh, talk to these points and provide us why you think that? Now, now we're getting along like, like we should. Kevin, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
Joining us on the phone now, here on the first day of spring, Bill Campbell, the president of the Keystone Agricultural Producers. Bill, thanks a lot for doing this. Well, thank you very much, Hal, um, and good day to you and your listeners. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's early. We got a lot of snow on the ground, uh, but I guess first day of spring, I'm excited. I wanted to get you on. Obviously, this is a, a really optimistic time of year uh, for your members. Oh, yeah. It, it, isn't the weather great, great today when, when we can put February behind us and start looking forward to, uh, you know, Manitoba at its greatest time of year? And so if we start seeing this white stuff disappear. It brings optimism to everybody. Sure. And it looks like so far, anyhow, we're seeing the slow melt that we want because, as we know, uh, we're expecting some flooding. How does that impact growers out there? I mean, I guess it's hard to plan when when you don't know if your fields are going to be underwater. Yeah, it it, it makes it more difficult. Um, You know, we have dealt with adversity in the past, and so we kind of learn how how to deal with it. But, uh, you know, as this year seems to be unfolding, it looks like that there will be not a a great difficulty with regards to the melt. There may be areas and pockets. And um, I think our biggest concern is what comes from the south in the Red River Valley. I think that will be our, our biggest concern, and we just have to see how it goes. And, and if we can have a slow melt and get some absorption into our landscape out here, I think you know we'll see a significant amount uh, go into the land and fill the wetlands and... Uh, go slowly into the river. So, you know, let's pray and hope that everything goes according to a good plan. Yeah, aside from the flooding, I mean, a lot of snow this winter is a good thing for growers. Oh, yeah, we need to replenish our reserves. Uh, I've made mention before in previous comments that our uh, reserves in our uh, moisture levels is our bank account. It's like a savings account, and we may need that moisture come July and August. And it's nice to be able to go to that uh, subsoil moisture and, and retrieve it. That's what saved us in a lot of instances last year. Um, so so we require that, that good subsoil moisture. So, With the Chinese not taking our canola, is that affecting uh, how much might be seeded? Or was that information out too late? Have farmers already made their decisions on what they're going to grow? Have they already got their seeds? Well, I, I, and I guess it's variable. I, I know of some producers that are committed to their rotations with regards to oil seeds and cereals and pulses. Uh, and there is still some of that flexibility, but we are really pushing the window when we, with regards to that uh, alternative cropping decisions. And personally, myself, I have not made any purchases of canola seed at this point in time. And I'm sure there's other people that are in the same situation. The biggest problem with regards to the Richardson and China deal is the uncertainty. Uh, Once we buy our seed, once we put the seed in the ground, we're committed to marketing that canola product. And so if we do not see uh, an export market or the certainty in the prices, that will affect our bottom line. And um, that's a problem. So uh, we need to have some clarity, some certainty and assurances that, uh, China will be purchasing canola from us, uh, you know, throughout the year and after harvest. So, Any other uh, crops out there that are uh, starting to become popular? Anything uh, that might yeah. be newer or interesting, or are the old standards uh, still working well? 
Well, you know, the, the wheat has been around in this in this part of the country for a long time for a reason, because it works and it grows, and uh, it adapts to a lot of different climatic conditions and that. We have seen a surge in our uh, soybean acreages, but soybeans took a bit of a hit last year, and so there needs to be a lot more management practices, a lot more agronomic practices, a lot more research, uh, you know, just to make sure that it is here full-time. Uh, you know, there are some novel crops, uh, some minor crops that are, you know, I, you know, maybe oats will take a bit of a rebound this year. But, uh, you know, our stables are stable for a reason, and that's because they work and they grow here. i got to ask you about the budget yesterday. There was significant help for farmers in it. Well, I guess um, my initial response was there was not a lot of headline news with regards to agriculture in the budget and announcements, but upon some further research that agriculture was a part of the budget and there were some uh, announcements in it and I guess a couple of things that you know kind of come to light and is the announcement of a national food policy and that will hopefully you know highlight the safe nutritious and healthy food that can be received or achieved through Canadian food sources Maybe even look at probably the whole problem of food wastage. You know, there's a, there's a lot of food that, that does go to waste. So it'll be interesting to see how that policy and strategy evolves uh, with that part. But the other part that was kind of interesting was the high-speed Internet and rural, northern, and remote communities. And agriculture is a large part of that Internet requirements. We have equipment now that requires big data. Uh, we're utilizing that for a lot of our um, uh, progressive uh, farmers and research and technology. So uh, the Internet is an important part. So that'll be good. Uh, the acknowledgement of the supply management sectors with regards to the trade implications that have been affecting them through uh, the trade agreements. It, it, was, it was great to uh receive acknowledgement that they will receive compensation so yeah that that, that was uh, pretty important that they receive that that compensation do we do enough uh, this will be my final question bill do we do enough for farmers uh, should we be doing more should we be helping differently uh, maybe just a quick comment on that well it's interesting i'm actually on my way home uh, from winnipeg and yesterday i was at the legislature building with regards to ag awareness and I think that we need to have that communication sort of with regards to agriculture, where your food comes from and how we go about producing it in this country. We have a, a production system of excess and we produce a lot of good, high quality food. And it's maybe taken for granted by the, by the citizens of this country. And so we need to ensure that that primary producer is sustainable, uh, looks after the environment and cares about his animals, cares about his land. Um, you know, maybe it's time that consumers spend more time um, wondering where their food comes from about the temperature in Hawaii or Mexico or what the sand is like on his holiday resort. So, uh, I've I've often mentioned that uh, there are, you know, and I guess we have the luxury of three times a day what everybody in this country likes to do, and that's eat. And we require those foods to do that. And, and, And as primary producers, we can do that, and we do do that. So we need to have that line of communications. Bill, thanks a lot. Travel home safely. 
Thank you very much. And um, we look forward to spring in Manitoba because uh, it's a great time to be in Manitoba when we get the green grass growing and, and uh, get out and about. So. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bill Campbell, he is the head of CAP, the Keystone Ag Producers, joining us here on Hal Anderson Afternoons. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.